1: Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Dervla McTiernan. She's known for the Cormac Riley series, and her new one is a standalone called The Murder Rule. It's inspired by The Innocence Project. Now, we talk about how a new trick has really helped her editing, also how she gets to know characters, and how her writing has changed through time.
2: The balance of organic writing to highly organised writing has shifted book to book. Like the first book I had no clue what I was doing, no method, no technique, no plan. Second book was hyper planned, third book was something in between, fourth book was something in between. And I think that probably continue to change over time. But largely this is what I do. I have a general idea what I'm going to write about, and um, usually a situation, but most but there has to be a character I really care about at the beginning of the book, somebody who, you know, that, that I'm really interested in that I kind of have a really strong emotional response to. My first step is to build out who that character is um, and I spend a lot of time with that and as I do that obviously other characters start to flow from that person and I kind of already know the situation they're going to be in.
1: There is loads more on the way in a brand new writer's routine with Devla McTiernan. Yes hello welcome along to the show. Uh, My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for being there. Thank you for bearing with me while I was on my holidays, had a little break, and we're back with a brand new episode. Fantastic one. This is where we take a look inside the working day of some of the world's most successful authors, how they get ideas, how long they sit on those, when they think it's right to research and to plot and to get down that first sentence. When, where and how they write, that's what we cover this week. It's with Dervla McTiernan. Uh, She's got an interesting story behind her stories, really. She spent 12 years working as a lawyer in Ireland and then following the financial crash back in the late noughties, she moved to Australia and turned her hand to writing. She wrote a short story called The Roommate, which was shortlisted for a crime writing competition, then went on to publish The Ruin and a string of other bestsellers. Her new one is the murder rule. It turns the idea of the Innocence Project completely on its head. Uh, The project, it looks to exonerate wrongly convicted, perhaps those on death row, using uh, DNA evidence and new techniques in finding these things out. Now, the murder rule does the opposite. It focuses on someone who doesn't want to save a man on death row, but uses her position as a means to try and bury him. We talk about how thoroughly her day is planned out, which, spoiler alert, is extremely in half-hour slots. That's how thorough she is. Uh, Also, we, we find out if she ever finds that planning, that thoroughness, oppressive to her creativity. You can hear how she's always changing as a writer and how she makes that happen. Also, why she's never written a book in quite this way. It's a really in-depth, into-the-reads chat this week. I hope you'll enjoy it. We kick things off, as we always do, with what Dervla McTernan sees around her in the place where she sits down to write.
2: Right. Well, I am sitting at the moment exactly where i mostly write, although I do kind of write everywhere. And we moved house about four months ago into a little 1940s house that we renovated, which we will eventually extend. But right now it's teeny tiny. So I have a desk in the corner of what is our living room. And it's a built-in desk. And I'm sitting here. I'm looking at my Mac Pro, which is sitting on a little stand with a mechanical keyboard attached. And to my right, there's a stand that holds my iPad when I'm editing. And on the wall sort of in front of me, I've printed out four months, like a kind of one of those um, calendars you can make yourself. And it says Countdown to Publication on it. And I'm ticking off the days as we go by. And there's also a short story called Life as a Cat that my 10-year-old wrote (laughs) that I stuck up. And there are bookshelves and the bookshelves have mostly been colonized by my husband's board games. And then behind me, there's a big modular couch that is too big for this tiny living room um, where my smaller dog usually sits. And when she gets bored with me writing, she pokes me in the back and tries to get me to come and do more interesting things.
1: So it seems quite <clears throat> like organized as a, as a writer. So you've got the, the iPad, you've got the the wall chart which lets you know so is it so four months is that what you said so what what will four months cover for you well
2: i'm close i'm only four weeks away now but it was four months when i printed this out first
1: so what are the key dates that you have in there is it the date that you have to get your first draft in
2: do you know if i'm honest dan do you know what this was about it was- <laughs> The printing off thing was more like a health thing. I was like, right, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to do all the right things in this run up to publication because it gets so overwhelming this time of year. You know, I'm, st- I'm still trying to work on a writing project that I'm working on, but slowly but surely, like there's always an admin part of your day, which I'm sure every writer talks about. You know, you've got emails, you've got social media, you've got stuff you're doing for your publicist or whatever. Um, that's quite a small part of your day at certain times of the year. And then as you get closer to publication, it just starts to take over. And at the same time I'm writing and at the same time I've got young children. So what I end up doing is all of those things and like just eating junk and getting them exercise. So I just promised myself I wasn't going to do this this year. So I stuck these like this, this month thing up so I could tick off each day where I made an effort to like go for a walk or be healthy in some way. And the last time I take today was the twelfth of March. Oops
1: <laughs> right, okay. so this is it's, uh, a few weeks have gone, but that's okay. that's always tomorrow. You're all right. Uh, that helps you with your fitness and and kind of lets you know what's going on. Is there anything around you that's more plot driven? So like a pin board or a whiteboard that lets you know who's doing what, what's happening next, all of that stuff.
2: Well, my new favorite thing, which I could bore you to tears about is I, okay, so I was looking for a new method of editing. Um, I've always, when I get to a certain point in my edit, I've always printed out my manuscripts, but I end up printing them out three or four times and just working through them with a red pen. Um, And that's really good for process in terms of like delivering a better book, but it's not great for paper. And it's also not great in terms of practicality. Sometimes I like to write in a cafe. I don't want to lug my whole manuscript with me everywhere I go. So I was looking for a new method. And I looked at that remarkable tablet that is being heavily advertised and seriously considered it. But I ended up um, trading in my ancient iPad for a newer one, which just arrived a a week ago. And now it's all I'm using. So for planning, I'm using a digital planner. And I sit down the night before um, and I work out and I block out. I'm such a nerd, but I block out every single half hour in the day for something. So I've planned my whole day from the half hour. Like I'm just looking at today's, no, yesterday's started at seven and finished at 8.30. And every half hour is allocated to something. And so I use it for that. I also have a notebook that I'm using just for notes for drafting and whatever I'm you know, thinking through. And then I have the project I'm actually editing right now on it. And what I'm loving about editing on the iPad is the ability to, you know, mark in line the way you same way you would on paper, but also slip in additional pages. So if my edit is running a bit longer and I'm writing a bit more um, into the manuscripts, there's more space to put that in rather than pulling in like empty pages. And it's not just like saving paper. I, I find I'm editing a bit more fluidly and I'm feeling free to do a bit more, but it's also more organised. So when I come to put that work back into the manuscript at the end of the day, I feel like it's just a bit more complete, and I'm, I'm not doing things like fix fix this or make this more fun the way I sometimes do when I when I do it on paper. So it's working really well for me.
1: I've got a few questions. I have done, yeah, you know, 220 episodes of this show now. Uh, I have n- and <laughs> take this however you'd like I've never known someone to be as fastidiously organized with their time to 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 do things in half an hour slots why why are you being so incremental and so regimented with right now I breathe now I take a cup of tea now I you know
2: (laughs) now I can scratch now I can do you know it's just I find I work best when I'm really calm and life at the moment is just pulling me in too many different directions so i'm sure you've interviewed a few mums and dads along the way who have young kids and i think most people who are parenting young children will say, have the same i don't know complaint or report whatever way you want to put it which is that we never feel like we're doing anything right because when you're with the kids like you feel like you should be working and when you're working you feel like you should be with the kids and it's just a constant juggle of those two responsibilities and if i don't know if it's just it's just my personality if i feel like i've got stuff i haven't done I feel the sense of stress is just a bit more intense. And then I start procrastinating. Whereas when I'm organized and I feel like I'm on top of things, I feel calmer. I procrastinate less. The pressure is reduced. And like, it's that pressure and stress that kind of leads to that sort of perfectionist feeling. And then you start procrastinating. So like when I started out, I I had my day job and I worked at night and it was always relaxed and calm because the writing part of the day was the reward, you know, like I did my day job, I looked after the kids, I did the laundry, whatever, and then I sat down in the evening and whether the kitchen was a tip or not, I felt good about where I was. And I'd make a cup of tea and I'd just write for a couple of hours. And now I'm a full-time writer and I thought this would be the walk in the park time. I mean, this is the dream, right? This is what we're all kind of trying for that someday I'm not going to have to go to work and I'm going to get to stay home and just be with my story. But it just doesn't feel like that a lot of the time. I feel like I'm still juggling a thousand different things and just being hyper-organized, you know, to the half hour. I don't know why that makes me feel less pressured instead of more pressured.
1: Does it ever have a detrimental effect? If you are someone that likes to be a a bit spontaneous with what you do, do you ever find uh, it being so meticulous quite oppressive?
2: No, I mean, I can totally see why somebody else would. I can absolutely imagine somebody going, oh my God, and rolling their eyes when they hear this. And I would not judge because I get it. But for me, it doesn't feel that way. And I don't feel in any way like constrained by it. I mean, today I had a plan for this afternoon. It didn't work out because I got some emails I needed to respond to and I got caught up then. I'm writing an article for a magazine here in Australia, which is part of the whole lead up to promotion stuff. And I felt, you know what, if I stick with this, I'm going to get it done as opposed to just half done. So I just stayed with it, wrote that and didn't do the other thing I would planned to do. And that's absolutely fine. I don't mind if I abandon the plan halfway through, like I don't feel like I have to stick to it, but knowing that it's there and knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going to give myself a half hour where I can go through everything and say, okay, what did I do? What did I not do? What's going into tomorrow? Or what have I just decided isn't worth it? knowing I'm going to give myself that chance to think it all through again just makes me feel a bit more chilled out.
1: And let me touch on editing on the iPad for a second. You said it it made you feel freer with your editing and that it flowed better. What is it about a very simple change in device, yeah, tool that's helping that out, that's making such a big part of your writing
2: simpler? I don't know. It's really interesting because I've been trying to think about that today, you know, because it's such a new... Uh, Technique for me, like why is this changing how I feel about it? I think it's really simple stuff, and this is going to sound really stupid, but it's something. I don't know. It's it's the okay. This is really embarrassing, but I'm just going to be honest. Part of it is the colors because I can choose the color of my pen. I'm constantly. I'm going to do this color for this kind of change, and that color for that kind of change. And there's something a little bit fun about that. Then there's the fact that it's it feels so. This oh my. God, I'm going to come across as a control freak. But it does feel so organized it's something really satisfying about that. Like, for example, I'm just looking at a page I'm working on now. And so halfway down the page, I have decided to insert some additional language and I just have a PTO left with an arrow. And then there's a new page before that page. And I have one insert, which is numbered one, one insert, which is number two. And if I wanted that second one to go on, I would simply just write for as long as I wanted to write and not try to squeeze it into the back of a page of a manuscript. And then it's onto another page of a manuscript, which is, you know, sometimes if you, if you run on too long, you might have extra edits, say, on the back of page 88, and then that runs onto the back of page 89, which, and it just gets confused. Whereas this is so neatly organized, it just all hangs together, which, you know, in fairness does make sense why that would be easier when you're writing a, crime novel, because sometimes the plotting can be really complex and keeping it all balanced in your head is a challenge. And I think anything that makes that a little bit simpler and cleaner so that less of your brain is taken up with holding things in place. I think that's a help and it frees you up to be more creative. So I ended up with a sensible answer there, Dan, in the end.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we, we got there. We always do. Well, let's talk tech then. Uh, what are you write what what software do you write on and and also what font do you write with oh
2: my god um i don't know i uh usually times you roman if i'm writing in word if i'm writing in scrivener it's ooh jeez i can't remember it begins with p i think palatino mm could that be right? Ooh,
1: yeah, Palatino is a thing. Yeah, maybe
2: it's Palatino, something like that. And um, I made the mistake of not writing in Scrivener this time, and it was a nightmare when it came to really messing around with the manuscript. So won't do that again. Back to Scrivener for me next time.
1: Surely that's quite an, an important, you know, writing is your job, so where you write is fairly, fairly vital to that. How did you make that mistake?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got bored, and I wanted to mix it up. And I tried a few different things. Like I tried Highland. Is it Highland Pro or something? It's um, John August's um, software company's screenwriting software, but it's supposed to be usable for novels as well. And John August has written novels for kids. He's a, I don't know if you, are you familiar with him? He's a he's a US screenwriter.
1: I'm honestly not, no, but I'll look him up as you speak. He's a,
2: very big movies and he's got a really good podcast called uh, Script Notes. So I listen to that pretty religiously and he talks about Highland and... It's a really clean interface. Like it's really attractive to the idea of it. I loved and I just thought, oh, that sounds so fun. So I thought I'd try it out, but I just couldn't make it work for a novel. Like I'm sure if you're a bit more clued in than I am, you could, but I struggled with it. And then I said, oh, sod it. I'm just going to write in Word. And I was experimenting with writing a bit more organically. Um, and it did work for a while until it st- we started to get into the weeds. And then I really regretted not having it in Scrivener. Also, I've I've previously have imported Word documents into Scrivener very easily, and um, when I used to work on a PC. And this time, when I was I'm working on a Mac now, and I don't know whether it's because it's a Mac or not, but when I tried to import it into Scrivener, I had all sorts of problems. So I just said, "Oh, I'll stick with Word." And um, but it has been a bit of a journey, so I don't think I'll do that again.
1: So you mentioned you've got your your daughters. Uh, short story that she wrote and that must be quite inspirational is there anything on the walls any pictures Is there any little trinkets on your desk
2: <laughs> well it was my son actually sorry. my son's um... oh
1: your son sorry oh,
2: all good. Um, inspiration on my desk not really like when I started out I thought I would use things like you know mood boards or maybe photographs or maps that sort of thing and my last novel, the one that's coming out in May, I did have some maps and some research material from um Virginia, where part of the book is set on my work desk for a while, but I didn't really look at them much. To be honest, all of the inspiration comes from the story and the characters I create and the, you know, all that. So usually historically I've always had a new notebook for a book and I start writing every writing session with pen and paper for at least a half an hour first. And you know, I'm building out characters and building out plot, building out story. And all of that goes into the notebook. And that notebook is beside me when I'm writing. And I turn back to that for inspiration. I suppose the only other stuff I do refer to sometimes when I'm just feeling like I need something else is maybe one of my books I have on writing that I might open a paragraph and have a look over it or a chapter, you know? Well... The perfect day, right? This is the day I aim for. It sort of depends. So my husband and I take turns with the kids in the morning. So if it's if it's my morning, I'm usually up around half six and I make breakfast and lunches and all that sort of stuff and get the kids out the door to school and drop them off. And I'm home by about nine. And then I try to do a little bit of Pilates in the morning. I've got this kind of online membership thing. And like a lot of writers, have a bit of back pain. So I do that first. And then I settle down to writing either half nine or 10, depending on the day. And then I write to about uh, 12.30. At uh, 12, 12.30, I have lunch for half an hour and usually do some laundry or something exciting like that. And then I work again till about 2.30. And then I'm back on kid duty. I go pick up the kids, bring them home, do homework, music, lunches or dinner, whatever I have to do. And then I'm back to my desk usually by about six. And then that could either be an hour or three hours, depending on what's going on. Um, I'll finish off my day's writing I'll do some emails, social media, and then I'll do my plan for the next day. That's kind of what the day looks like. So
1: that's a perfect day. In a a, a perfect day when you're writing across three, more or less three separate stints, you've got morning, afternoon, and then later into the evening. Uh, How do you know what needs to get done that day? Is there some grand plan that you're working to?
2: There kind of is. That won't surprise you, will it? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so this is how... Typically, I write a book and it is a little bit different every time. I have to be honest, like the balance of organic writing to highly organized writing has shifted book to book. Like the first book, I had no clue what I was doing, no method, no technique, no plan. Second book was hyper planned. Third book was something in between. Fourth book was something in between. And I think that probably continue to change over time. But largely, this is what I do. I have a general idea what I'm going to write about, and um, usually a situation, but most but there has to be a character I really care about at the beginning of the book. Somebody who you know that, that I'm really interested in that I kind of have a really strong emotional response to. My first step is to build out who that character is. Um and I spend a lot of time at that. And as I do that, obviously other characters start to flow from that person. And I kind of already know the situation they're going to be in. Then I will I steal this. Actually, this is a great book. If People are looking for tips about writing writing routine. um, Elizabeth George's Right Away. I don't know if you've read it, but she is the most meticulously organized novelist I have ever come across in my entire life. And honestly, when I first read her book, I thought, no way, never, ever going to do this. This is just way too hard. And then I realized, no, no, actually a lot of what she does is massively helpful. So I do do some of the stuff she recommends. So one of the things she recommends doing is kind of writing out a list of maybe 10 or 12 scenes that you're really excited to write. Like these are going to be the fun ones, you know, from say the first third of the book. So I'll do that like a little paragraph on each kind of a running outline. And then I just start writing. I write about 30,000 words ish. That might be as few as 20,000, might be as many as 40,000. And that's when I stop and take stock of what I've got. By then I should have found the voice. I should really understand the book I'm writing. At that point, I'll do a full outline, like literally from the beginning of the book, right to the end, scene by scene. I mean, there might be a few scenes where I say, I think this is kind of going to happen, but I'm not really sure. And then I might have the odd scene that will say something, something will bring me to this point. But mostly I have a pretty good idea. And then I usually start writing again from scratch and I'll write my 80 to 100,000 words or so. Um... I may at some point it's possible I'll end up throwing that outline in the bin um, or rewriting it. You know, the the story will find its own path to some degree and you have to stay flexible. But largely I try to work to the outline and if I have to throw it out, I prefer to write a new one and have some clue where I'm going. And then I finish the book and then I start editing. So whether I'm doing an edit, like I'll, I'll aim for, I broadly have a kind of a word count. I don't think word count really matters, but it helps me to have an aim for the day, whether I hit it or not, doesn't really matter that much, um, unless I'm under real pressure for a deadline. And then, so I usually aim for about two and a half thousand words. And if I'm editing, say, 20 pages or so, depending on what sort of state the book's in.
1: There's quite a lot there. I'm fascinated by this, uh, you writing an outline of about 30,000 and then starting again. When you, when you start again, how closely aligned are the next... The, the second lot of 30,000 words that you end up writing is exactly the same as the one that, well, is it almost identical to the one that you're almost going to chuck away?
2: No, it could be completely different. It, it could be like a different point of view. It could be the same point of view, but written different scenes. It could be like, I've chosen a different character to work with, or I'm taking that character and altering them significantly in service of the story. Like, it really depends. I think for me, what I've learned is, unless I'm really lucky and I just hit it the first time out, those 30,000 words for me are finding where the real juice is in the story. And like they might be perfectly serviceable. Like I'll give you an example. This is not exactly the first 30,000 words, but it's very similar. Um, in the book that is coming out in May, I have two point of view characters um, one called Hannah and one Laura. And Laura's scenes are really um, diary excerpts. And I know how dangerous that is, right? Because often what happens in a book like that is you love one character and you're bored by the other and you're just flipping through until you can get back to the other original character. And I think that was happening a bit in my earlier drafts. I, The Hannah character I thought was interesting and fun and compelling and you would want to read it. And the Laura one just didn't have that same sense about it. And so by, a dra- by draft five, I had resolved that, okay? It felt like, oh yeah, this is good. This is, Well, to me, I thought it was, you know, this is good. This is, this is chomping along. I, I think people will enjoy this. But it still wasn't right, you know? Like it wasn't right. It was good writing and it was a good story, but it wasn't capturing exactly what everything I wanted it to do. So it had to go again. And I probably have at least three highly edited, highly polished versions of those, excerpts, but they weren't good enough and they weren't right for the book. And so they had to keep going. And my last one, like there's t- whole scenes that will never appear in the book that are really super detailed. And the end result is completely different. And I don't, I doubt if I'm alone in that, you know, I mean, even though I have heard um, Lee Child talk about his writing and he blows my mind because he's like, you know, it kills him to have to revise a paragraph, let alone like two paragraphs, you know, and he would never cut a chapter. So I don't know how he has the ability to be able to write like that, but I don't think I could do it.
1: Here's what I would struggle with is knowing what to change. So you read through something and you've highly polished it, but then you're thinking there's there's just one aspect that isn't right. How you can detach yourself enough from what you've just written to then change it substantially enough? How, How do you... How, how do you kind of figure that out?
2: Well, the line-by-line stuff comes with, uh, look, everybody says if you want to be a writer, you have to be a reader, right? And and that's the obvious thing, but it's true. I mean, your, your taste develops because of the thousands of books you've read in your life. That's why you can't be a fiction writer unless you're a fiction reader. It just doesn't work. So I think you just instinct and experience helps you to do the line-by-line stuff where you're just finding the voice. But understanding how it fits your story, I think you have to give that time and breathing space. I mean, one of the things that helps me is reading other people's stuff. I mean, I know that sounds counterintuitive. A lot of people will say they don't want to read other people's work when they're writing because they're afraid the voice will get in their heads. It doesn't really work like that for me. I mean, if I go off and I read like a Stephen King novel and I'm just like, oh my God, this is just so bloody good. And oh, I love how he did this. And I'll nudge my husband and say, I have to read you this bit. This is so cool. Um. It's, I find it really inspiring, and it it gives me new ideas for my own work that will be totally different from his. But will just it's just anything that inspires strong feelings or a strong emotional response. I think you bring that back to your work, and you find a way to pour it in. I don't know if that answer makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. Also, if I can say this, you're quite. Uh, you know, we've we've discussed and laughed how you're quite organized in every part of your work and your day yet it would seem to me that wasting 3000 words every time you start a story isn't the most organized way that you could do it
2: <laughs> no it's true but i think that's the weird thing about writing it's like you have to if if someone was to say to me what is the most important thing you've learned about writing you know in the last 5 years or whatever I would say it's this. You have to, every writer brings something really internal to their writing. And like writing with your head's important, okay? You can't completely go with your heart. But if you're not bringing a genuine, genuine personal response to what you're doing, it's not going to be good. And if you are bringing a genuinely personal thing to what you're writing, it's going to be messy. Like you, that's all about human emotion and feeling and instinct. And that changes, you know, how you're feeling on a day to day changes. So you're trying to find this kind of deeper theme or this stronger follow through, or or I'm not sure what word is I'm looking for, but there's something like a strong thread that runs through the center and that that's consistent. And that's hard and it, it takes time and you've got to give it the time. You've got to give it the words to find that.
1: Let me just draw you back to your day. Uh, for a few more questions when when things are struggling or when the words uh, when things are a struggle rather and the, when the words aren't coming out it, what have you learned along the way that helps you out that maybe like a cup of coffee at a certain point or music in the background how does that go
2: i think music helps i don't listen to music mostly when i'm writing but if i have to write something very emotional and i'm too caught up in my day then having music on you know i might even watch a couple of music videos on youtube or something and just then I'll let it play in the background while I write, that helps. Um, Usually if I'm really, really stuck, it means I've started writing with my head too much. And somewhere along the line, I stopped letting the story lead and I just pushed it with my brain, you know, and then it just dies on the page. And in the beginning, I didn't really understand how to recognize that. And I might write on for another 15,000 words until I'd written myself into a hole and then wonder why it felt wrong. And then you have to go back and you've got to cut all the dead wood and go again. Now I am much faster at recognizing when it's going wrong and I'll take the time to just figure it out and spend time with it. I think you need to walk, like I think pen and paper, walk away from your manuscript, sit down with your pen and paper and just write about your story. Just generally, like you could do like some sort of writing exercise, like take your two characters and have them have a conversation they would never have in your story, but a different one, or, you know, those sorts of things are surprisingly helpful because it unlocks you from the pressure of getting your story on the page. And yet you're still in the space of your story. So you're figuring things out and rediscovering what interested you and what made you feel passionate about it. um, But without the pressure of getting words on the page. So I do that sometimes, usually not anything as formal as like a writing exercise, but I'll just sit down and it'll just be, you know, flow of consciousness. Why am I confused? What don't I like about this? What am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling this and thinking this and this sucks and this isn't working and I don't like that character anyway and I'm not sure why I put him there. That doesn't make any sense. But actually, maybe if she tried this, you know what? I think she probably would probably do this instead and, you know, I just blather away like that for a while and suddenly I'm off and going again. Um, That's if it's a minor block. If it's something more significant, it probably means I've gone down the wrong path.
1: Also, it seems that your writing day is, well, your whole day rather is full on, you know, you you... you you deal with the kids in the morning, then you're working and then you've got to get the kids home and then you've got to write again. And, and you're doing this while having a, a, a life as, as well. And I imagine that, yeah, I imagine this is the same for most careers, but I'm, I'm chatting to a writer. How do you make time for, you know, to watch a film with your partner or to enjoy time at your leisure when, when you think, oh, I've got to go back and work and write till about eight in the evening?
2: Well, I don't know. I would be exaggerating if I said I write every evening till eight. In the early years, I wrote every night except Thursday, but I had a day job. And so um, that was my time. My only time to write was between 7.30 and like 10. So I would just do that every night except Thursday, but not anymore. um, Because I, as you say, like you do need to have a life. But at the moment, because I'm coming up to publication, there's so many other things to do as well as writing. Um, I kind of have to use all the hours. And like, I love writing. Like, I just love it. If anything, I feel like I wish I could give it more time. You know, I love being in the story. It's really hard sometimes. Don't get me wrong. And there are times where you kind of resist it and you procrastinate, but on the good days, there's really nothing like it. And I, I've never, you know, never been great at balance and I should do more of other things. And we do do other stuff too, but, um,
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user
2: compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: We'll be back with more from Dervla in just a sec. I'm very quickly popping up to remind you, if you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying this chat or any of the other 220-odd chats, if any of them have given you ideas and tips and motivation, inspiration to get your story done... You can pay it back to us You can say thanks By backing us at Patreon And it doesn't take a lot Just a couple of dollars a month Really helps us keep going It helps us keep bringing you These chats as often as we can With the best authors around Authors that do it Completely different ways Week to week We always get different inspiration And you can help that carry on Uh, For it For your small pledge Every month You get my eternal thanks please You get merch there is bonus content there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show to help us out I'd love to see you get involved in any way that you can just become a backer and support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine let's get back to it then with Dervla McTiernan the Irish lawyer turned Australian crime writer which actually lawyers into crime writers one thing I have learned over the last few years of this show is that's not the most unusual story it's not unlikely that a lawyer finds an outlet for their creativity in writing. And quite often lawyers work with crime, so I guess it's write what you know. Uh, In this part, we talk about how hard it is to actually undertake writing a novel. And I think that'll be inspirational. Don't worry. Also, you can hear why she's never written a book quite like this one before. And we pick things up talking through how she gets to know her characters.
2: Every time you sit down, you say, "Okay, I'm writing a new book. It's exciting. Like you've got this clean, fresh idea and you haven't ruined it yet. <laughs> you can do anything with it. But there's also this other challenge of, of a writer. You know, you're, you're reading the writers who truly inspire you and you just think, my God, I would love, imagine to be, imagine being able to create a story like that. So you want to stretch yourself. You don't want to stay the same writer. So I'm always trying to get better. And some efforts, I think, bear fruit and others don't. But I guess that's part of the learning process. You're going to have to stumble along the way.
1: And how are you learning those techniques for what to do next to try and get better? Is that through massive self-analysis?
2: I think it's not so well. A bit of self-analysis, but but mostly reading other people, you know, and like it's reading amazing novels, but it's also reading novels where you're kind of going, "I'm not getting into this. Why am I getting into it? What is it about these pages that is throwing me off?" And then when you can recognise it in somebody else, then you it's it's easier to see it in your own writing. So like I was reading. Um, a novel the other day and I was being thrown out of the pages. Um, and I was trying to figure out why. So I spent a bit of time just really analyzing the words and I realized it was it was a lack of clarity. I could see that the writer knew what she was trying to say, but I could also see that she hadn't fully said it. And I think that's a trap we fall into sometimes as writers because the picture is so clear in our own heads. Obviously our entire job is to get it down the page. So you would think like, you know, duh but Sometimes it isn't so easy because you forget what the reader's not seeing. And so um, there are certain pivotal sentences that you just have to make work really hard for you without the reader feeling like it's hard work. And that's quite difficult to do. And in that particular novel, I could, I could see what the, re- what the writer was trying to do. And I understood completely why she hadn't because I've done the same thing. And I went back and looked over my work in progress, looking for those moments where I had just not taken the time to really go or just not recognize that I hadn't been clear enough. Um, and so that's one example of like something that can really help you improve your work. But like books on writing, I definitely read those. There's an awesome book called Self-Editing for Fiction Writers. That's great when you're at the editorial stage to just remind you of some really important stuff. Um, and then just reading authors that you love and trying to understand why if something works so so well for you I think it's really worth if you read a book entirely for pleasure just enjoy the ride but then go back over it with your stuff and go okay what what about this book is super super special for me is it the character is it that character that I fell in love with or is it the relationship between those two characters okay how has the relationship between those two characters been painted over these chapters is it with the teeny tiny brush stroke, or is it heavy hand? like how was this end result achieved? and then you learn something and you can bring that forward
1: now the new book is the Murder rule uh Tell us about the first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. How did it present itself to you?
2: okay, so years ago, I read an article about an Irish law student who um went on her j one visa to the US for the summer, which is something a lot of Irish students did. And I did it myself when I was a law student, but she went and she volunteered for the Innocence Project and she worked for them for the summer. Um, and she worked a number of cases, but one in particular, she kind of couldn't let go. And she, when she went back to Ireland, she kept working the case. And in this newspaper article I read, you know, um, it made it clear she was able to track down a detective in the US who had worked the original case, but had since retired. And this detective pointed her to some hidden evidence. And it was, you know, that the prosecution had hidden from the defense. And this man was ultimately freed um, where he'd been in prison for well over 20 years. And he was entirely innocent of the crime for which he'd been um, convicted. And I was really blown away by this, as you would be both, you know, for a lot of reasons. But a lot of it for me was because, you know, she was this young Irish law student. She went to the States and she did this amazing work. I was a young Irish law student. I went to the States and I was a chambermaid and waitress, you know, and I had fun with my friends and there was a bit of a contrast there. But the story stayed with me, but I didn't really want to write a book about it because, you know, we've we've had a lot of Innocence Project type stories, you know, an innocent person on death row and obviously they're very moving, but that story has been told Um, and it just didn't, I couldn't quite forget the story, but I couldn't quite find a way to use it. And then two things happened to change that. One was, I did some more research into it. And what I discovered was even after she found that hidden evidence, it took another five years to have his appeal properly heard and to have him released. And by that stage, he only had three years left to run his original sentence. He was in prison for, I think it was 23 years in in total. And all the original articles I had read sort of left that piece of information out. And I kept thinking, well, why would you do that? You know, because it's a much sadder, more complicated story this way. Why would you leave that out? And I had a, a few different theories. I thought, well, maybe the editor of the paper or the other journalists thought this cleaner story was more inspirational. Or maybe the Innocence Project, you know, their publicity team was pushing this really inspirational story because it's better for their work. And, you know, would you blame them? But that made me think, but well, what if you're working for something like the Innocence Project and you're a really good person, you're trying to do good work, but in a world where no one cares, right? We're living in a post-truth, post-Trump world. No one cares. So maybe you have to take a little step on the dark side to achieve what you want to achieve. And once you've taken that little step on the dark side, what happens when you take the next step and the next step and so on? And I kind of thought there might be something interesting there. And then I decided, well, what if I take this young idealistic law student who, you know, on the surface is exactly what you'd expect her to be bright eyed and bushy tailed. And what if we invert her? And make her someone very different. Make her someone with an agenda of her own. So that was when it got really interesting for me, and I kind of knew I had a story to write. That was a really long pitch for this book. <laughs> done.
1: no, perfect. And you've got well, you got it, so it's fine. Uh, what's interesting is that it's such an undertaking, you know, because you're you're you can get bogged down in the myriad rules and and laws. Or, that the Innocence Project aims to un- uncover, yet you're trying to make this a a rip-roaring, page-turning crime thriller at points. How, how much, I guess, how much are you distinguishing this is important, this isn't important, I'll include this, I won't include that, to, to make it as tight as what could be quite a bulky novel can be?
2: It's incredibly hard, I'll be honest. That's the hardest thing because... Like you can come into a novel and you can write a clever thriller, right? And it would be entertaining and you will be a page turner, I hope. And people will walk away and go, yeah, that was a good use for a few hours. But they will never remember that story and they will never think about it again. And we've all read a hundred books like that. And I'm not saying that they're bad. You know, they serve a purpose for us all and we all enjoy them. But I want to do something different. I want you to think about it. I want you to care about the characters, you know? I want you to want to go go back. And yet, at the same time, I'm dealing with some pretty heavy material. You know, you've got the Innocence Project. You have innocent people in prison. You have various other things going on. So it is really a juggle. Every single sentence has to do triple duty on the page. And I've never written a book in quite the same way because I wanted it to be really clean, really tight, really fast read, and yet have characters you care about and yet have something to say. So it is really, like, it's all about the editing for me. It's, it's, you know, the 10th draft, the 11th draft, is this chapter doing everything it needs to do? And like, I don't know. I mean, I've done the best I can with this book. I hope people really enjoy it. I can't say I achieved everything I set out to achieve because how do you ever, you know? But I did my best and I hope I became a better writer in the process and I hope I created something people enjoy I take an old fashioned, you know, well it was old fashioned. It's just classic, I guess, a character prompt sheet, and I will sit down and I will start just with that, you know, because it's just prompting your creativity. It will ask you. So I'm sure everybody, everybody listening to this knows what that is, but just in case, it's it's literally a sheet with a bunch of questions on it, and there are a thousand of them on the internet, you know, name, age, um, education where was she born, Um, any unusual physical characteristics, family members, friends, enemies, you know, what's she passionate about? Does she have a political view? Does she have a psychological, whatever? And just working off that. And like, I might not answer, I might answer four of those questions or 20 of those questions. It depends what I find interesting in the moment. But it just serves as a kind of a foundation for your imagination to run riot. And in this situation where I kind of knew Broadly, what kind of person she was going to be, I had to figure out well, what sort of background might create a person like that? You know, I knew Hannah was going to be really, really clever and very effective at what she did, but she was also going to be very manipulative and very skilled at that. So, what sort of person is a skillful manipulator at 21? You know, what do you go through to get you there? And so then I start filling out her story about why she is the way she is and how she learned to use people in that way. Um, And yet I still wanted her to be sympathetic. It was important to me that she was a genuine person underneath this. And so I needed to understand why someone who had good to them would still feel like it was okay to behave like this. And then I also wanted her to go on a journey and change over the course of the book. So I'm bearing that in mind as well. So are kind of all those things in your head as you start building her out and creating who she's going to be.
1: And you spoke about your outline earlier that comes from the first 30,000 pages. For this novel, how extensive was that? How much did you know beat by beat what was coming? Or was it more of a beginning, middle and end situation?
2: I knew all of Hannah's story pretty well. Um, and I would have had, I would say probably, if you, if you were to go back and find my original notebook and look at the scenes, I would say, maybe 60 to 70% of the scenes would have been in that outline. And they may look a little bit different in the final book, but they would largely have been there. With Laura's part of the story, I had her outline done, but I would say very little of that remains. You know, she became quite different. And part of that was because I didn't know exactly who I wanted her to be. There were two options for her. And I think my biggest mistake was not deciding 100% where she was going to be, who, which, which person she was going to be at the beginning. She was either going to be redeemable or not so much. And I'm not going to tell you which. <laughs> it would to spoil the book, which she ended up being. And I couldn't decide because both options appealed to me as a, as a writer. And I think I was sort of working it out on the page. And you know what, Dan, maybe I needed to do that. Maybe that just had to be done. There was no shortcut. Um, but because of that, I think I was trying to do both. And it just could not be done. So that's why that part of the story was so hard to write.
1: Now... Talk to me about words and the structure of sentences. We've done so much into the structure of story and I'm conscious that you, well, you wanted to get it tight and you, these sentences needed to do so much because they needed to tell so much of the story but also not be too boring, which is the aim of, any, of, the aim of anything. How much did you think about the next word, specifically the next word you were writing?
2: Oh, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question if I'm really honest. I just I I just write the word. <laughs> I just write and I don't self edit too much like I don't some people use the term vomit draft I hate that term but I don't do that anyway um because everything I'm writing I'm trying to make it the best I can it's not just get anything any old thing down the page you know um but I'm not totally over-the-top self-editing with the first drafts because I think that I would find that would slow me down too much and would kill the momentum of the storytelling. So I'm conscious sometimes of things like repeated words or, you know, that's a weak sentence. um, And I know that's a weak sentence, but I'm going to leave it right now. There's a line I won't cross. Like at a certain point, I'll be like, oh, I'm just right. This is just slop now. I just have to stop and go and take a break or come, you know, cut all this and go again because I'm just writing total rubbish. But I won't, you know, I'll stop that really fast. Like, I'm just not going to do that. So you won't, my, my first drafts are not insanely clean. They're just relatively clean, I guess.
1: And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Dervla McTiernan for coming on the show. That new book is The Murder Rule, inspired by The Innocence Project. And if you are gonna grab a copy, let me point you to your local independent bookseller. Now, next week on the show, we're chatting to Scott Kershaw about his brand new high stakes, high concept breakneck thriller, the game. It's on the way next week with Scott Kershaw. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can always support the show. Become a backer at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, get in contact, writersroutine.com, and you can drop us a follow on Twitter as well. We are at writerspod there. And I'll see you next week with Scott Kershaw on the show. Until then, bye!
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more